Welcome to Modern Sales, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business owners, and salespeople looking to have more and better conversations with your perfect clients. You'll get a healthy scoop of psychology, behavioral economics, and sales studies to help you create win-win relationships. I'm your host, Liston Witherell, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Modern Sales. As fast as sales is changing, one thing is for sure, content is an increasingly important part of the sales process. Our buyers and clients have way more access to information. I mean, they can download a book on any subject on their Kindle in about 30 seconds for a cost of $10. They can rent books, look up articles online, download free resources from you and all of your competition instantly. And all of that is available right now, which means our content strategy is an increasingly important part of the sales process. It's an increasingly important part of the enablement process. It's an increasingly important part of reducing the friction that our buyers experience when they're doing business with us, or maybe even just looking to do business with us. That's why I brought on my guest today. He is the chief marketing officer at HubSpot. I'm really excited to have him here because he talks about the role of content in sales and the future of content in sales, including things like account-based marketing, including, yes, of course, we have to mention it since he's from a software company, artificial intelligence. We have a brief chat about that and its role in disrupting and changing the future of sales. One thing that I want to point out to you before you listen to this is I personally do not see a future without human beings in the sales process. So go forth when you listen to this with that in mind. Spoiler alert, Kip doesn't either, but I just wanted to clear up my opinion on that matter Yes, you will still be involved in the sales process. And in fact, I believe as things become more automated, there will be a greater emphasis on interpersonal and so-called soft skills in the future more than ever before. So I'm excited to bring you this episode about the future of content in sales with my guest, CMO of HubSpot, Kip Bodner. So Kip, AI is all the rage in both sales and marketing right now, even though it doesn't quite exist in the way that a lot of people think it does. How do you foresee AI being leveraged in a sales setting within the context of HubSpot or even in general? Yeah. I mean, if you think about AI, it's one of those things, anytime you have a new technology, it takes quite a long time to reach its potential. And we're kind of in that phase where you start to see some of the glimmer of that potential, but there's still a lot of work to do to really make that come to life. And so I think if you're a seller, if you're a sales leader, you think about how AI is going to impact your life, maybe not tomorrow, but six months from now, a year from now, three years from now, it's going to come to fruition in a lot of some simple and some not ways. And so, for example, like one thing that we do right now, we have uh, call transcription in our CRM where you're recording your call within our CRM we'll automatically turn that call into a transcript and we'll use machine learning, natural language processing to identify potential follow-up actions. We'll basically scan that transcript and say, oh, do you want to set a follow-up meeting on Tuesday like you had said in your phone call? And that's something that people will experience today. But man, I think there's going to be a lot more additional implications. I think if you're a seller, it's going to come through in a few ways. Right now, 
most of your time with AI is spent helping you identify who to talk to. And that's certainly a very valuable thing, especially for some sellers who have a lot of potential leads to go after. Kind of following that, after the who to give you a call, what I think it's going to allow you to really do is help deliver the right content and the right message on each individual sales interaction. We all know that sales is a complex, complex, complex job. And especially if you've got a suite of products you're selling, how do you figure out which product you lead with? What product collateral is going to be most relevant to your buyer? What case studies are going to be most relevant to your buyers? And I think you're going to see AI come in and help on the recommendation side in those types of use cases to make it a little easier for a seller to figure out how to deliver kind of a really remarkable buying experience to that prospect and one that feels really tailored and feels more tailored than maybe the sales rep had actual time to create it through the help of that automation and those recommendations. Let's talk about airlines and automated vehicles for a second. Sure, sure. One of the interesting things about why planes crash and why automated vehicles crash is because, as we know, computers aren't perfect, neither people. No. Actually, computers tend to be better at repetitive things than people. We can agree on that. Correct. However, when there's a co-pilot situation, people either get lazy or just kind of forget how to operate the craft. And that's been the case both in automated in Tesla situations where it crashes, but also in airplanes, people would probably be a little afraid to know how inept some pilots are at flying planes. Now, I could foresee a situation in sales where the more complicated it is, the more adept the pilot has to be, the salesperson. Mm -hmm. What dangers or risks do you see AI posing and could it make us dumb at sales? Look, anything can make you dumb at your job if it takes your focus away from it. If you're relying on technology to do your work for you so that you can do less, then you're going to become complacent. And what you just outlined, yeah, probably would come true. But if you're leveraging technology, whether it be AI or anything, to help give you an edge, to help you be better at the foundation of skills that you have and build better and stronger skills, then it's not. And I think if you're a seller who is determined to work hard, stand out from the pack, be a leader in their organization, then you're going to look at this type of technology as an advantage that you have to build on your own skills. And ironically, I think it's less of a fear in sales than many other professions, because I think sales people, at least the ones I know, are very, they have their own point of view. They believe in themselves, have a lot of self-confidence. And even though they're going to get help and support, they think they're always going to be a little skeptical of it. And so I think that it will be a healthy skepticism and allow them to check and make sure that that help and support they're getting is actually the right thing for the deal they're working on. And so it may happen across some disciplines. I think it's less likely to happen in sales than many others, to be honest. Well, and it's interesting too, because one of the promises of AI, like you said, is a more personalized experience. And we'll talk about some of the things you said in a, a public talk you gave last year. But that was one of the the things you talked about was having this much more personalized experience from the buyer's side. But does it really feel personal to be interacting? I don't know if they'll be directly interacting with a robot, but if someone, the salesperson is depending on it, does that decrease the personalization or how do you think about balancing the need for a relational orientation between salesperson and prospect with 
the AI being this sort of detached algorithmic decision-making engine? At HubSpot, we fundamentally believe that it is how you sell more than it is what you sell. The experience of how you're able to buy and sell something really, really fundamentally matters. And so in that world, what you have is you've got sellers who need all the information they can get because they want to deliver a great buying experience. And you have buyers who, quite frankly, just don't want friction in their buying process. They want to be able, as we've seen throughout the last decade, do more self-service, acquire more knowledge themselves, and get human involvement involved when they're really ready to have that discussion. And so what I think we're going to see is that some of these recommendations are going to go from being for the seller to being for the buyer, right? And a lot of those are going to be directly exposed to the buyer. The buyer, it's good. we're going to be able to help that buyer make a better, more informed decision, figure out when that buyer should actually connect with a salesperson. And that's going to be really valuable. And I think companies who are going to be able to leverage technology in that way and make it easier than ever for a buyer to buy your product than any of your competitors' products are going to be the most successful. And so I don't think we're going to see a weakening of relationships and sales. What I think we're going to see is a strengthening of relationships, but a lot more buyers are probably going to opt out of a sales-led experience and really only need sales interactions either for the last mile of that decision-making, for some very specific questions, for the enablement of a trial or product, if you're talking big enterprise purchases. I think that's going to be a good thing. I think it's going to allow the buyers to move at the pace they want, and it's going to allow the sellers to really talk with and engage with well-informed buyers who have good decision-making. Since this podcast is really for people who are in client services, do you foresee that also being true in a very complicated relational type business? Or are you speaking from the point of view of selling software that's fairly tangible and relatively easy to understand? I think you're going to see that manifest in every business. I think the degree to which it does is obviously going to change on the complexity of the product and the service and the customization. Obviously, if it's very customized service offerings, that's going to be harder to do. But you're still selling to some target buyer, right? It's not like you have 10 different buyer personas if you're a services company. You probably have a handful, a couple of of buyer personas if you're running client services. And so I think because of that, you're going to see technology, one, be able to make that buying experience easier for both the seller and the buyer it's going to enable you to really focus to the level that you need to. I don't think it's going to be a one size fits all. It's obviously going to become a little less applicable as you go into those edge cases of real custom products and services. But for the vast majority of folks out there, I think it's going to be a helpful additive supplement to their work. I don't think it's going to completely in the near term change how they do their day to day. Cool. Well, if you'll allow it, I'd love to pull the curtain back a little bit and understand what you guys are doing at HubSpot with your sales team. Sure. And so one of my big questions is about ABM, account-based marketing. So that's been sort of a catch-all jargony term that's been going around for five or 10 years. And I'm curious, how do you think about ABM in terms of especially what you're making in order to enable your sales team to pursue these really high quality and high leverage accounts that they're going after? Yeah, for us, it's different, right? We have, we sell to growing companies. And so sometimes the folks we sell to, there's there's one decision maker. And often when you hear 
uh, things like ABM, it's talked more through the lens of kind of enterprise deals where there's a host of decision makers across different departments who all need to be marketed and sold to as one kind of singular account. So there's a large part of the selling that we do that just doesn't fit with that. That being said, we do have a higher end part of our business where ABM becomes factor because we are selling to marketers, salespeople, IT people, and executives who are all involved in that buying process because they're thinking about, okay, am I going to switch over my entire kind of front office stack from my CRM, my marketing tools, my customer service tools, my sales acceleration tools? Am I going to go from a disparate point solution kind of package to kind of one all-in-one platform? And when you have those, what we are trying to do is run very focused plays to make sure that we have the right enablement and follow-up content targeted to everybody involved in that decision-making. And that largely comes through, mostly through automation, a little bit on the paid advertising side of things, but mostly in how we follow up and provide information both to prospects directly and to our sales team who's working with those prospects. I see. And so is your messaging different for different people within the same account? Or like, how do you think about optimizing your ABM approach for maybe that small basket of accounts that are so important to you? Yeah, for I think the way we like to think about it, and I don't think this is a novel way of thinking about it, is what's the core objection that that person has in the process? And if that person has a different objection, then that content is different for them. And what we have found, you know, is security and IT have different concerns than the CEO, right? Or legal has concerns around indemnity and, and certain issues around the contract, where the sales VP of sales, they don't care about that in their decision making. They care about the reporting that they're going to get for their sales managers and how their their reps are going to be able to work day to day. And is this going to help their reps be more productive, for example? And so when you have those differences in objections, we try to make sure that we have the right content and campaigns to address those core decision makers. Great. So one thing you've mentioned is about the friction between buyers and sellers. And I was actually kind of surprised at this statement you made, the friction between buyers and sellers has never been greater. That's a direct quote. And what you were referring to there is the fact that it's tough for buyers to get a hold of companies. Yeah. I can relate to this. One of my great pains is my love-hate relationship with LinkedIn and their customer support is quite atrocious. Sure. Feel free, by the way, anyone working at LinkedIn to contact me. I'll, I'll bore you with all the reasons why I think that's the case. Hook him up, guys. He needs some help. <laughs> but my complaints about LinkedIn put aside for a second. I think one of the reasons that a lot of companies want to wall off access is the internet tends to attract a lot of people who maybe aren't worth your time or or you can't spend a lot of time servicing because you do want to service your customers. And so we want to give access, but also the cost of sales is rising dramatically. Like over and over and over again, and partially because of tools like HubSpot, and I'm not picking on you, the dozens of other competitors or similar tools out there. How do you see the balance between providing access to buyers, but also keeping control of the cost? One, to push back a little bit, I think software is a very small part of sales costs, to be honest with you. I think a lot of it depends on where your sales team is set up, costs of living, wages. I mean, the human capital cost of sales is still the big core area of expense there. 
certainly things like software and other things factor in, into that, your marketing expense and everything, obviously. And when I think about that, what we try to do is match the buying experience for the type of product you're looking for. If you are trying to use our free products, for example, we want those products to be really good, so good, hopefully you don't need much help. And if you do need help, that our community of other users and service partners are able to provide you the quick responses you need. And partly that can happen because those free tools are reduced in scope, they're more straightforward, they're less customizable, so there's less things to get stuck on. And as you move up the product line, if you get to our enterprise products, you're going to have very excellent access to support because you have much more access to customization in your products. There's a lot more things for you to do. Subsequently, there's a lot more things that you can break or get confused about or have questions about. We need to provide that support. We also know that there's more people involved in that buying process. So where you might not, if you're using a free product, you'll never talk to a salesperson at HubSpot hardly, unless you're maybe considering upgrading. But where if you are evaluating our enterprise product, you're going to have a very deep relationship with that salesperson. And that salesperson is going to spend the time necessary with you to, to help you make what is a, a very highly considered purchase. I see. It's not an easy problem to solve. It's not. I think we're getting better at it. I think things like chatbot automation, in-app chat in the software industry, website chat overall, things like that that are able to get us real-time interactions that are very helpful to the user and less costly for the business to balance that kind of supply demand need for help are definitely helping. But I think it's going to continue to evolve as we go about it. I don't think there's a perfect answer, to be honest with you. Well, there never is, my friend. Otherwise, you would just dominate the market and we wouldn't have to have this conversation. Yeah, we'd all be winning. That's true. One thing that's definitely true is things are more scattered, right? People are on Facebook, they're on LinkedIn, they're on Twitter, they're on email, they're on occasionally talking on a phone, but <laughs> it's seemingly a lot less. Yes, that's true. And you've mentioned that the average customer has over five inboxes. And I actually am surprised by how low that number is. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, are we headed into a paradigm where sales and marketing are so sufficiently complicated that competition can only occur at scale and like the small kind of growth oriented company can't really compete in this world? No, I think the opposite's true. I think it's actually never been a better time to start a business because the cost of starting a business is much lower. The ability to scale has never been easier that comes with some complexities and some trade-offs for sure, right? And I think there are a few things at play there. One, the world bundles and unbundles. Like that's what we know for certain. And 10 years ago, you had this very unbundled internet. And it was a little easier to be discovered, right? Because Google, Facebook, Twitter, they were all much earlier in their monetization. And there were way less ads, PPC ads in, in the Google search engine result page, to put it very simply, right? In just one way that you can get discovered. And now there are a lot more today. And so it's a little harder to get discovered maybe today, but that just means that you have to be better at different channels, right? Like you see the growth that Instagram, YouTube's going through. What it actually tells you is you have to be a little bit better at video and visual communication than you had to be five years ago. And I think small businesses that are really good at understanding who their audience is, removing that friction out of their buying experience, making it really easy 
to buy with you, delivering a great product or service that creates really great word of mouth that's actually going to fuel more people to discover your business can be more successful today than ever before. And I think you're going to, you're seeing platforms reduce that friction. Facebook just did F8 release. They're going to integrate a shopping cart with Instagram. So if you're somebody who sells online, for example, you're going to be able to transact right there, whether that be maybe for a service product on the B2B side of things or a $10 product on the consumer side of things. And I think that reduction in friction is a really remarkable thing that's going to have big impacts on businesses that take advantage of it. I'm just thinking maybe of much smaller businesses than you're thinking of. Let's think about your SMB market, right? 50 or fewer employees. Like what's the likelihood that they're going to be able to optimize for three to five inboxes, even within using a tool like HubSpot? Well, yeah. So I don't know that if you're a 50 person company, that your job is to optimize for, for three to five inboxes. If you're a 50 person company, your job is to optimize for the most important inbox to your audience. And get good enough at that that you can then grow to be a 100-person company or a 200-person company. And then you can start worrying about the next inbox, right? As companies grow, they have the ability to expand their area of focus. If you're a 30-person manufacturing company, maybe email is the inbox that matters in your market. And you get really good at email marketing. And that works for you. And that's what's going to set you up to have your next stage of growth. That's awesome, right? I think what a lot of those small businesses that are embarking on their growth trajectory, the mistake they made is trying to take on too much too early. It's when you're just getting started, it's like, what is the, especially on the marketing side of things, what is the primary channel for growth that you have? Now can you get really good at driving growth through one channel? And once you have that ability, then you can expand other marketing channels. Love that. So let's talk about something related to what you just said, and that's distribution. And we could probably spend several hours just on this topic. Of course, it's very important. You said that distribution is one of the things that a lot of businesses get wrong when it comes to creating content. Let's maybe not use HubSpot as an example because of your gigantic organic reach and email list, but how do you recommend your clients and customers approach distribution if they have, say, a thought piece or a white paper or some other crucial piece of content that they've recently created? Yeah. The most simple advice I can give on this is that too many people create something without thinking of the distribution as part of that creation process, right? It's like, oh, I have this thing I want to tell the world. Let me create this thing, and then I will figure out how to get it to them. And fundamentally, the core thing that we do that I think any successful company does, and successful marketer does, is say, oh, before I create this thing, how am I going to get this to people? And based on that method of distribution, How does that inform how I create this thing? And some examples of that. If I'm going to get this to people through search engine optimization, okay, well then what is the topic that I'm trying to rank for? What are my supported pieces of content? Where am I going to get links to this piece of content from? Those are all part of the process of creating and publishing that piece of information. If I am going to distribute this idea through Facebook, great. Like, What does that change? Oh, that means that the first three seconds of my video has to be catchy and compelling and immediately uh, communicate the value proper. Nobody's going to watch it and it's just going to fall flat. Nobody's going to discover it. This is Facebook. Oh, I'd probably need a little bit of money for ads to start to see the initial discovery of that video, for example. And so depending on the story and how you're telling it really depends and how you're distributing it depends on kind of the holistic approach you need to creating it. So even if you're a small business, if you're a 20-person business, you've got one marketer, maybe you're doing an email newsletter and one blog post a week, great. 
but think about how are you adding people to your email newsletter subscription so that that email newsletter gets to more people and how are what topics you're optimizing for your blog so that your blog gets read and discovered by more and more people okay so let's talk about um email <laughs> i think this is a big one and obviously email has the advantage of having less intermediaries controlling the channel, which is mm -hmm. a huge deal. Yeah. What are some ways that you think about adding people to your email list? Are you a proponent of maybe not buying a list, but creating a list and just adding people? Or how do you think about that at HubSpot? There's less gatekeepers in email, but wow, deliverability and spam and the savviness of the kind of email regulatory world that's out there has never been better. So buying list is just, a bad idea. You're just going to get flagged. You're going to get dinged and you're not going to be able, messages are never going to reach any of those people after you send one really bad email out. What you want to do is figure out offers for people to come and join and participate in your list. And so first of all, what is the value proposition to anybody for being on your email list? Is it that they're going to learn something specific, that they're going to get special access to something that they wouldn't have already get? Whatever that is, then how often are they going to get it? Are they going to get it every day? Are they getting it once a month? Are they getting it once a week? It's about how you set expectations for them. And once you set expectations for them, then there's a few things you can do. One, if you've got a blog, then you ask people to subscribe to your blog or email newsletter there because your blog is going to bring people in. If you are, we talked about LinkedIn, we joked about LinkedIn earlier, but LinkedIn has a new documents feature. And maybe you have a call to action in your LinkedIn documents that, hey, if you really like this document, we share more of these through our email newsletters, subscribe here. And it's about creating content to get people opting in to your email list. And some of the most popular ways are holding webinars, publishing eBooks, sharing content like documents and everything on, on social networks like LinkedIn. Those are the ways that you're gonna do it. And maybe initially you have a small group of friends and families and customers that you seed the first couple of emails to. And the, they help spreading because once what we've found is as you continue to build your email subscriber base, one channel you have is those people forward your email if it's good to other people and you're going to get more and more subscribers through that. So there's a flywheel effect that really comes into to happen once you get more than a few thousand people to subscribe to your email. And so it's getting that first initial base of email subscribers that can be tricky. And so you kind of have to create the content, positioning it in a clear way that people will discover it and come and opt in to the work that you're sharing. Excellent. So as we think about content being such a crucial part and obviously built into HubSpot's DNA, such a crucial part of the sales cycle, I know that you guys also sort of famously have a very large outbound team as well, or at least you did at one time. How do you see the balance of sales and marketing changing even within HubSpot moving forward? Do you think SDRs will still be a big part of your acquisition strategy or will that start to fade? At HubSpot, we see our inbound channels and inbound demand makes up the vast majority of the sales we have. And we, we think that's going to continue to happen because it's a lighter friction experience. It's not getting jarred from your routine by maybe a cold email or a cold phone call, something like that. Obviously, that can be an effective strategy and has worked for folks like us and uh, lots of other folks in the past. But I think fundamentally, what we've found is things like website chat, for example. Wow, if you have a chat rep, they're just way more productive than like an SDR, kind of across the board. And so I think you're going to see businesses shifting 
resources and entry-level sales talent to having really helpful customer interactions in places like chat versus calling and interrupting their target buyers. Yeah. And I was wondering, do you guys approach customer support from the perspective as customer success has the opportunity potentially to deepen value for your clients and even expand, not just like get the renewal, but expand the level of client engagement you're having? Yeah, we have, we focus deeply on our customer MPS as well as our support MPS. We believe that our customers are our best marketing channel, that we want to, one, expand relationships with them. We want to give them a remarkable experience so they rave to their peers about us. And that's what we strive hard to do. And we do that through trying to provide great support, but also great customer success management experience, making sure they have a great team of people to work with, very clear on who they need to work with to get help on whatever areas of working with our product that they need help with. And yeah, we see that as a core engine for growth, not an opportunity to minimize expense. Excellent. Well, I have a few quick questions for you here as we wrap up. Lightning round. Let's do it. What is a book that you recommend? Not your own and not published by HubSpot. In a third-party book. On any topic or business-related? My follow-up question. No, totally open, man. Totally open. Hit me with your most non-businessy book if you want. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me go through a couple that I like. I'll give you a business and a non-business recommendation. On the business side, I really love the book, The Platform Revolution, which talks about how platforms and networks have really changed our economy. I think it's a very helpful primer for anybody who's in the modern work environment. I would highly recommend checking that out. And there's, I'm really into... There's a, a female poet who I will butcher her name, but it has a book of poetry called Salt. Uh, it's like Nahira Wind. I butchered her last name, but if you just look for a salt poem book on Amazon, you'll find it. And she writes some pretty remarkable poetry. And I've been reading that lately, and I would recommend people check that out. What is one habit or routine that you couldn't live without? I walk to and from work every day, and it is the best thing ever. How far is your walk? I don't have to drive. Uh, it's about 25 minutes, Okay, a little less than a mile door to door. And so I get some great time outside. I don't have the frustration of traffic. It's fantastic. I couldn't live without it. I love that also. Yeah. My commute shorter than yours, but I, <laughs> I just walk upstairs. Hey, it matters. It does. Well, yeah, right. And my wife and I take our dog for a walk every day, which is incredible. Okay, cool. And so what is one tool that you use in your work that you find absolutely indispensable? Zoom. I'm team Zoom all the way. We have a, I have a team of marketers who a lot of us are here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's HubSpot HQ, but we've got folks, we've got some remote workers, we have offices all around the world, and Zoom has changed how we collaborate in a fundamental way. It was the biggest kind of shift in how we work together as a team, and it's essential. I am rarely in a meeting that I'm not on a Zoom call for. It's huge. Yes. I'm also a huge fan. And they just, did they IPO or maybe just filed for their IPO? Yeah. Shout out to Eric, who's the Zoom CEO. He is awesome. Janine, who runs marketing there, is amazing. They've built a remarkable company. We are super happy, happy Zoom customers. All right. Well, maybe I can have them on here on the podcast one of these days. Yeah, they're great. 
Excellent. So Kip, thank you for everything you've shared so far. I know some people might want to follow up with you directly, uh, learn more about you or your company. What should they do? Yeah, if you want to learn more about HubSpot, just go to HubSpot.com. You can try our free CRM, other free products, or learn about any of our other products or content that will help you be a better marketer, seller, or customer service person. And if you want to learn more about me, probably the best thing is connect with me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash Kip Bodner, and you will find me. I have a unique name, so you can basically, I'm super easy to track down. And so feel free to connect with me there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate the time.